Welcome to Rocksaw Ministries Frontline Servants Program, where we visit with men and women on the front lines of kingdom service. For more information about our free revival ministry, or to explore more of our audio and video recordings, visit our website at www.rocksolidministries.org. Again, that's rocksolidministries.org. My guest today is retired preacher Jim Myers of Jonesville, Virginia. Jim, we met back in 2007 when I held my first revival with the Cedar Hill Christian Church, where you were minister. Our friendship grew as I held another nine revivals with the Cedar Hill Church, seven or eight of them with you. Uh, the congregation there also became one of our partner ministries, helping us with monthly gifts to continue our ministry to North America. And I know that you had a part in that too, and we appreciate that. We've shared a number of meals with your, uh, with you and your sweet wife, Vicki, through the years and learned a lot about you. But I'm always surprised at how much I don't know about my guest. And I already learned a few things in our pre-program discussion here today. So, Brother Jim, tell us your story. Okay. First of all, thank you. And you and Beth, we love you both. We love your ministry as well as Greg and Laurie. And uh, we really appreciate Rock Solid. Uh, Our story starts back in our hometown, remote Virginia. Uh, We were in our, I guess, a little past our mid-20s. We moved into a new subdivision. We built a new home back in 72. And um, we had about 300 homes there. And every Thursday night and Saturday morning, uh, we would have a flood of cars. People, well-intentioned people from churches would come in and invite us to their church. And I remember one Thursday night, I uh, shared with one of them. Uh, we actually had them in our home. I shared with them. I said, you know, it's really great what y'all were doing. And I said, so-and-so from such-and-such church was here the other day. And, and they, they, several of them would come out and they said, well, you know, you really ought to come on to our church. You don't want to go over there because they believe this, they believe that. And even though we were flooded with all these well-intentioned people, I was also flooded with a lot of different beliefs. Yeah. Kind of confusing. Now, my wife and I grew up in church. We got away from it uh, because of some issues. And then uh, and we were away at that time when we moved into our new house, so to speak. And finally, I just got to the point where I said, look, I'm just going to sit down and read the Bible. I'm going to read the New Testament. I'm going to see what it says about all this. And I went and purchased me a little New Testament in uh, August of 73. And I put a covenant in there that I was going to read just to see what God's word said about all this. And I literally read myself out of all that and into the New Testament church. And so... uh, we attended the Edgewood Christian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. Uh, the Sunday I, my daughters and I went, Vicki was out of town on a business trip. Uh, we filled out a card, and that Tuesday, Tuesday, I guess it was, this gentleman knocked on our door, a little short fella, <laughs> him and his redheaded daughter, Marion Harris. And he was, uh, he was the minister there. And he came in and he talked to us. His daughter went back in the bedroom with my two little girls, and they just hit it right off. And, so we started attending Edgewood, to make a long story short. We went for about three months, and finally one Sunday morning we were in the car going to church, and I said, you know, I'm falling in love with this church and this people. It was fantastic. A little piece of heaven on earth for us. And yeah. we were getting the kind of teaching right. I'd been reading about in the New Testament. And so I said, either we need to become a part of this church or we need to go visit somewhere else. And my daughter Dawn 
says, look, says, y'all go wherever you want. Says, Missy and I are going to Marla's church, Marla Harris. <laughs> so that kind of sealed the deal. And we got involved there. And uh, I never will forget. And I don't, I was in business, by the way, Vicky was in banking. I was in business and uh, we had our fairly new, nice home at that time. And uh, I never will can, forget. Can I ask, what, uh, what, what did you do? What type of business were you in? Oh, I, I, I ran a, well, when I got out of high school, I worked nine years in a factory. Then I started working part-time to get sales experience because I love sales. And finally, I went to work for a family there in Salem, Virginia, right in the Roanoke Valley. And we ran a floor covering business called Carpet Village. Okay. And they sent me to Blacksburg to open a new store for them. So I did that and built the business up there. Uh, and so uh, we were doing that at that time. Again, to make a long story short, we were coming out of revival one night with Daryl Sprunger out of Florida at that time. And Marion Harris looked over at Vicky and said, won't she make a great preacher's wife? And that just blew my mind. I said, I'm in business. What's he talking about? And he'd never crammed it down her throat, but he would make comments like that. And other evangelists, you know, would come in, Ralph Sproul's different ones. And uh, finally, though, uh, I got to a point in my life where I, I was successful in business, but it wasn't, I wasn't fulfilled. Something was missing. And so I had a cousin who came out of a denominational background, and she started coming to Edgewood with us. And one of the elders there uh, and his wife at that time would come to our house on Monday nights and do a study on the church in the Bible and show these, uh, these slides back then from Ozark Bible College or out there at College Press. And she became a Christian. Uh, my wife and I were baptized into Christ at Edgewood. My cousin was. And uh, I saw the love that that minister had, Marion Harris, and I saw the love and the joy of that elder and his wife going around and sharing this with people and, and seeing the Lord bless it. And so uh, in January of January 1980, I was down at one of my lowest points. And Marion Harris invited us to a basketball tournament in Knoxville. And I thought we were going to see University of Tennessee. I said, who's going to be there? He said, well, Cincinnati. I said, wow, University of Cincinnati, Atlanta, <laughs> you know, Georgia. I think I know where yeah, this is going. Huh? I think I know where this is going. Yeah, it was a Bible college tournament. <laughs> and while there, he introduced us to Wilbur Reed, who was the PR guy, I guess you'd call him. And then we met uh, another missionary from Spain who was fantastic, who was a missions teacher there instructor and i you know we had to leave the next day because of a snowstorm coming it took us eight hours to make a four-hour trip back to roanoke and when we got back to roanoke i was sitting up front with him and she was sitting in the back seat with his wife carolyn and we just kept talking about how right that felt down there and we went into a bible class that morning dr robert black and one of the students in front of us on the tiered it was a tiered type classroom made like a 40 on an old testament test i said what in the world I said, how could they come to a place like this and only make a 40 on the Bible? You know? yeah. And I just said, what a privilege it would be to sit at this man's feet. When we got back to Roanoke, we decided to apply for Bible college. Oh, my you goodness. <laughs> that fast. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so we put in an application. I, I left high school. Uh, I was not in the top of my class. <laughs> I didn't like school back then. But we applied, and they accepted us on academic probation. And at that time, the interest rates 
uh, were 21% prime and no second mortgage money in the Roanoke Valley. And in June, we made a final decision to sell our home. I won't say we didn't get some kickback from family, and that's understandable. But anyway, we put it on the market with one of the best companies there, and we called Edgewood, and we had, they had a prayer chain tonight. The real estate person was coming to give us an offer, and it was accepted. And we literally doubled the money we put in the Balta House for. Wow. Uh, I mean, it God takes and care of us, doesn't he? Money came down. Second mortgage money came available. Prime came down to like 12% almost overnight. And our house sold in less than a week. And so we left Roanoke on August 11th. I'd, I'd already resigned my job that summer. Uh, and my wife did. And we left August the 11th, I think it was 1980. We moved out of this brick, nice brick home with hardwood floors and a wooded lot. And we moved into like a 10 by 40 trailer that had been, looked like been lived in by 100 people. We had mice. We had a snake crawl out of the trailer when we pulled a U-Haul in. And Vicky's about ready to go to Roanoke when she saw that snake go back home. We had no place to go. But we moved in, and to make a long story short, <clears throat> the first semester, I came off academic probation. I was a little rusty. took me a little while. And in the second semester, I made Dean's List, and I finished in 84. Uh, in the meanwhile, we had someone in the trailer court down on the river who said, hey, came to me just before Christmas and said, would y'all be interested in a ministry in Virginia? And I said, well, we'll pray about it. And he said, yeah. They, he was a senior. They'd been there three years or so, and they were leaving. And so uh, he said, I said, where's that? He said, Lee County. Well, I thought Lee County was down next to Richmond somewhere. Yeah. He said, no, it's only two, two hours away. So we prayed about it, and they met back with us. And I said, I think we're going to do it. We're being led to do that. So we went with them, made one visit, and then I went back and taught a Sunday school class. <clears throat> and then we went back and did the Easter sermon, and they called us up here. It was a rural church. They said, you're going to have to work. It'll be a bivocational ministry. And uh, we didn't know. We had no kinfolk here. We didn't marry each other from here. And in rural counties, sometimes it's a little clannish or sure. whatever you want to call it. And I was going to actually go to work uh, as a manager in a deli, a uh, grocery store chain here, a family-owned grocery store, or go to work in a sawmill. And uh, I couldn't get to work, and we needed the money. So I went down to the school one day where Don and Missy were enrolled, and I said, I've been approved to drive a bus, and I've been approved for substitute teaching. And if you just give me one chance and don't cut it, you don't have to call me back. Well, I must have cut it. The Lord helped me cut it. <laughs> because at the end of the, the next year, I substituted down half a day, and then all of a sudden, I was full-time for 20 or 29 years. And the Lord provided us with insurance. Uh, one of the elders in the church financed a home for us. And uh, only the Lord could have put all this together. And I had people over the years tell me if it wasn't, the Lord in your life and your wife's life, you wouldn't have the jobs you're doing, especially school system. Sure. And so I, I decided to improve myself as a, as a teacher. And I went and got my master's uh, in curriculum instruction in 84. And then we had a federal grant. And one of my friends I co-taught with at the school, a math teacher, he said, come on, get on this educational professors program, intermediate program between master's and doctorate. And we went for one year, and I got that, and they told me, they said, you need to go on and get your doctorate. You love teaching. You love a college classroom. And I'll tell you, Tom, that just about put me over the edge, but I got it in 2011. I, I remember that. College adjunct. Yeah. At the same time, we were still conducting ministry. 
Right. And I mean, all during those years. So that's how I got to where I'm at. And uh, of course, as you know, my health failed in 2019 as well as my life. And so that's why we're where we're at today. Well, you, we haven't uh, said, told our <laughs> listeners this, but uh, we're doing this long distance because the last time I was at Jonesville, uh, you were in no shape for me to come by and see you. Uh, right. You just had a lot of health issues, and uh, and now recently, uh, tell us what you've had surgery on your vocal cords. Is that right? I had I actually had spinal surgery on my spine and my neck because I had a nerve. I had a, a thing something pinching on the spinal cord, and if it would have fallen the wrong way, it could have paralyzed me. So they went in and put a plate and a spacer in my neck a year ago. And then I've got a great ENT in Knoxville uh, who went in about six weeks ago and thickened my vocal cords. When I got I got a fungus in 2019, it affected my bronchioles and my vocal as well as other part, you know, strength and all. It's that. hard on a preacher. But yeah, yeah, and and you can hear my voice. It's sure. raspy, and some Sundays and sometimes it would be all right, and other times it wouldn't be. So I went in six weeks ago. He went in and put me to sleep, and he did a more permanent thickening, and I'm just now recovering from that. So. I appreciate you. My teaching, another thing too, is my teaching, I'm still continuing to teach for the university close by here. They've let me work at home with their laptop the last couple of years during COVID because my wife and I are immunocompromised. And so I don't go in a classroom now. I teach online and there's not a lot of speaking unless I do a Zoom conference. So that helps my voice a lot too. Okay. Well, how how old were were you, if you don't mind me putting an age on you, how old were you when you went to Bible college? I was 31, and my wife was probably just two, two and a half years behind me. Yeah, I wasn't going to put her on the spot now. <laughs> oh, all right. Uh, I, I, and I won't put you on the spot for her because I know she's she's in the room there with you. So, uh, but so you were 31, and you, what year did you start at Cedar Hill? Started Cedar Hill in 81. I went to Johnson August 11th of 80, and then we started in 81 and spring of 81. Okay. So how many years were you at Cedar Hill? I was at Cedar Hill for three years, finishing up Johnson. We commuted every weekend, every Sunday, two hours and 20 minutes. And uh, uh, then they asked us, I was applying for churches in Ohio and different places. I thought about going out to Illinois and going to Lincoln to get my master's there in, in you know Christian studies or whatever ministry. Mm-hmm. And they called it. And they said, you'll have to work. I said, well, I'm no stranger to work. And so we came up here. We moved here the last Saturday of July in 84. And we were here for the church at the church a total of, of uh, 39 years. 39 years. And we had, a, we had a pastoral theology professor, Ken Overdorf, and his son's down there now. Johnson went to Johnson Bible College, by the way, Johnson University today. And he told us in pastoral theology one day, he said, when you go to a church, you go there and move in as though you're going to stay there. Well, we did. <laughs> wow. Here we are. <laughs> you took that literally, didn't you? Well, yeah. I yeah. mean, it, it's just like an educational leadership. We talked in our interviews yesterday about building community, building relationships, and right. how that principals or anybody else or ministers cannot build a relationship if you're changing out every two or three years, which right. you know the national averages for the length of a ministry. And, uh, so, I mean, we came here with the intent of building uh, 
community and relationships. And then the Lord opened up the school and I also drove a school bus. I saw a number of my students come to Christ and be baptized off the school bus. Mm. And, and in the school, I would have parents come in at times for parent-teacher night. And it wouldn't be, it'd be about their, their children and me as a teacher. But a lot of times I did a lot of counseling at those times. Those times. Sure. Had teachers come to me at times. And so it was, a, it was an extension of ministry and witness in both of those. Did it work us? Yeah, it worked us. We're probably paying the price today for all that <laughs> at an older age. But it was, you know, the Lord just opened things up. is unbelievable. And, I mean, you'd have to know the county. It's a great county. But, again, we're not from here. And the Lord just opened all that up over the years. So Getting into the community makes a big difference. When you're That's when you work in the community, we, in our last ministry, um, the, the man who started the church did a fine job getting it started, but he drove thirty miles to the church from another town, from a bigger town, and yeah. the church after six years never really took off until we got there. And I don't say it's because it was me, but because it was me on the scene. I was there. I was got involved with Rotary. I got I got involved with the Chamber of Commerce just because we were a new. It was still a new church, and we we needed to be seen. We need my picture in the paper at grand openings of things, you know, and and things like that. And and uh, I've driven school bus as you have in the past, and I've mowed yards and other things I needed to do. But I, we should tell our listeners, and and I always try to remind uh, the person I'm interviewing that this podcast is downloaded all over the world. Um, most downloads, of course, are in the United States and Canada, uh, although uh, France for a while was the third largest downloaded country and and a number of European countries, but uh, just every continent, like I say, except Antarctica. And I don't know how to get to those science people down in Antarctica, but I, I hope we can get there someday. But I always like to remind our, our speaker that... that um, People are not familiar with the with the lay of the land when we talk about Virginia, and and uh, we said that you've been you were there for thirty nine years with the Cedar Hill Christian Church, Jonesville, Virginia. But it's not right in Jonesville, is it? How far was it from your house to the church? About eight or about twelve miles, I'm thinking, and it's out in the middle of the country. I mean, it's it's not on the highway. We when we followed this. uh, preacher up who was graduating we followed him up that Sunday you know we were going up this highway we had this nice little image of a church on Main Street in Jonesville brick you know really yeah. nice <laughs> he made a turn off and he started going out to the country and I said where in the world is he going well he was we were following him and he kept looking up in the mirror we were sitting there with that big smile you know like praise God and, and but we sit there with our teeth like that and we would say where's he taking us I said maybe this is just a uh, shortcut getting into Jonesville. <laughs> all of a sudden, we pulled up, and there's this white, gray, white, or this gray church building out in the middle of farmland. I mean, we were just out in the pasture land. You know, you've been there. Oh yeah. And, and so, uh, uh, you know, it, we. And, but when we walked in the church, it changed everything. Uh, the people, and it was a very small congregation, maybe sixteen at the most. So, uh, you know. <laughs> But we're in one of the most beautiful counties. We're 35 miles from Cumberland Gap, Gateway to the West, Daniel Boone and all that. Um, it's a beautiful area. It's the most impoverished county in the state of Virginia. Is it? I and didn't there, know that. One time, yeah, one time coal mining, we had uh, industry in here and everything, and it's just dwindled away. 
And uh, it's, it's hard. It's really difficult on rural churches right now, the older churches. And so uh, uh, I, we hit a high point at one time of 70. And then our older members began passing away. Yeah. And uh, so I got down, uh, you know, into the 40s, 50s, something like that, 40s. And uh, but then we got sick. You know, right. And everything. So. Well, I remember my first trip out there. I, I told you, well, I've got a GPS, and you said that won't do you any good. And I, I'll never forget what you said because we were staying at Cumberland Gap, so we were coming from the other direction. And you said, right. "Meet me on a highway because you ain't going to find it otherwise." <laughs> That's right. And I remember getting there and thinking, "Now this is just one of the things I dreamed of when we started traveling for revival missions, going to these." churches back in the hills and play and we go to some city churches buffalo new york and places um but i love that and i remember coming in one evening for the services that first because our revivals with you were always weekend revivals you don't do very many of those but that worked out best for the church because uh, as as we were told the people are, are driving in where they're driving in and around these curvy roads and all on friday and saturday night and getting them back four nights in a row doing that is a little difficult. But if they come for the weekend, and then uh, I preach, uh, or if Brother Greg is there, we preach during the Sunday school hour, give an invitation like we always do, and then we turn right around and, and start the morning service. So we only do four messages. But I remember coming in one evening, had my windows down, had our windows down, and our music that year, I think it was our first year, was Brian Goins and River Road, the Bluegrass Gospel Group. Yep. And as we were driving in, the doors of the church were open. They were practicing, and we heard that bluegrass Christian music coming out of there. Yeah. And it was yes, one of the most beautiful scenes I have ever seen. And uh, I know that you can you can stand on the porch there in Virginia, and if you look real hard, you can see Tennessee. And if there wasn't quite so many trees, you could look back around the other way and probably see Kentucky. You're, you're down that close. And now every time we go, we stay over in Kentucky, drive through a tunnel into Tennessee for about five minutes, and then we're then we drive thirty miles into Virginia to get to you. But it, it's a lovely place, lovely people, and and it was just great being introduced to the people there by you. And we hit it off right away. Uh, we just became friends, and and uh, uh, always look forward to our time and our meals out together. But through those years, you you had some ups and some downs. I'm sure. Um, some of the, what are some of your greatest joys from those years? Greatest joys uh, was probably seeing people, uh, men and women that some people had written off and said they'll never come to church, they'll never become a Christian. I had one really deep friend that we cultivated a relationship with. As a matter of fact. I was getting my hair cut in town, and he sent word by one of the elders to tell Jim I'll cut his hair for a dollar. Wow. He was 67 then, 65. <clears throat> and uh, uh, anyway, I went out to his garage, and we sat out in the garage, and he cut my hair. I'd never give him a dollar. I'd always give him five. And he went on, and I said, no, it's worth it. So over the time, we built a relationship. And I remember one day he was there, and he said, uh, uh, Jim says, I, you can't get anybody to help you. And I said, what's the matter, Bill? And he said, well, I need to put my tobacco up in the barn and I ain't got nobody to help me except a woman and her son. I said, I'll come out and help you. 
So I put on my old bibs and went out there and we hung the back. And I know in the country they tithe on it and the cities they preach against it. I understand all that. <laughs> That's what David Eubanks, President Johnson, used to say. But I went out there and did that. And then another time, he couldn't get anybody to help him. Hey, and after we got out of school and work, the girls and I and Vicky, we went out and, and Missy and Vicky were up on the wagon and Bill and I were throwing square bales at them on Wednesday. Time for Bible studies a little later. Dawn, uh, she was driving a tractor. Never done that before in her life. And so we cleaned up, ate a little bite of supper with him, went to church, had Bible study, come back and got the last bail in it, went to raining. And he went around saying, man, that preacher will work. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it wasn't but a couple of years later, we were having a week-long revival in 87 with Johnny Hall, evangelist out of Northeast Tennessee. And uh, we went over to Bill's. I was teaching half a day. We went over to Bill's and Minus for lunch. And they went out on the porch and said, I just went in and sat in the living room, let Johnny do his thing. And that Sunday morning, Bill and uh, another fella, uh, he was in his 70s, uh, talked about coming to the Lord. And I talked with him about it. Johnny did. But the man wasn't ready, so Bill waited. And Sunday night at the end of the revival, they both came down the aisle with tears running down their eyes. Now, Bill had been a World War II veteran, and he was in a position where he had had to kill a number of people. And he just got to the point, as you've heard before with other people, sure, feel like God would never forgive him of that sin. Right. And after we got through sharing the scripture with him and Johnny, before his age, got to talking with him, he decided God can forgive me. And we took him down. We always baptized in the creek. You know, we don't have a baptistry. They like the creek. Our baptistry stays full all the time, the creek down there. Yeah. <laughs> so we went down to the creek at night by headlights and baptized those two men. And when they came up out of the water, the thunder the thunder hit. And, and Paul, the other man, he said, Bill, he said, the Lord's applauding our decision, our baptism. Wow. <laughs> that was probably one of the high points. And then uh, just seeing God spiritually heal people's lives, bring them uh, along. And, and uh, I always loved preaching and teaching. Now, I won't tell you that with everything else I was doing that, you know, sometimes it, it strung you to the end. But God always gives us the strength. But just decisions like that and people coming to the Lord and have been in church for years and, and rural people. And, uh, you know, they're as deserving as anyone. So uh, those are some of my high points, being able to go into the hospitals with people who are sick and pray with them, meet with them. Conducting funerals is something very personal to me because I've been here so long. These people are like family. Oh, so yeah. Pass away. It, it's really hard, but it's the most gratifying thing to know that you've done something to help that family. You know, yes. Time uh, it's very stressful to me because when you get up to preach a message at a funeral, you know those people are looking to God for something, give them some hope and some strength to carry forward. And so, uh, you know, we had a we had a number of baptisms over the years, conducted a number of funerals over the years. So, but I also want to say this real quickly because I don't want to, you know, go overtime. You're you're not going overtime. I'm more concerned about your voice and and not stressing I'm you. I'm fine. Okay. Uh, I found y'all, I don't know if it's, we got a leaflet or something from somebody about rock solid. We did mail some out early on. Right. And I checked, I checked it out because number one, I'm a New Testament preacher. Right. I was taught at our home church and by people like Brad Burnett at Johnson Bible College and others that the Bible only makes Christians only. That's right. And so I, I did not 
ever want to ask someone to come in new and not know their background. And of course, your background with your like your your grandfather and everybody, a great ministry background, Christian upbringing. Y'all came to the church and you said, you know, we don't make a charge. And you told us the story about Rock Solid. I so appreciate your ministry. I pray for y'all's safety on the road and everywhere you go, because all you hear is a lot of ugly things about what happens to people sometimes. Yeah. If it wasn't for your ministry come to churches like ours, a lot of rural churches which are dying off would lose hope. Mm-hmm. And so you have a very valuable ministry as well as the benefactor or the one who backs that ministry. And Vicki and I, as well as the church there, decided we want to violate any of the rules set forth uh, by the person behind all the rock solid ministry, but we did want to help out. And so that's when we began to be a partner of your ministry. And I'm thankful that for each, for all four of you, uh, as you go, you know, all over the United States and used to be Nova Scotia. I don't know if you'd still go there or not. Well, yeah, we've been to, uh, well, I've been to three of the provinces. Greg's been to four and I was going to the fourth, but it's been canceled the last couple of times because of COVID. And at this point, brother, we're not sure that we're going to be able to get back into Canada. In fact, we've got a lot of revivals next year and we're going to make a decision coming up here real quick, whether or not we're going to have to just go ahead and make a phone call and say, we're not going to make it next year either. And we, we've got to take some people on our wait list and get allow them to have those revivals. And it's a shame because we have good meetings up there. But it's churches like yours, uh, as you know, as you said, we we never ask for an offering when we come to church. When a church, uh, a lot of churches don't give us an offering. We don't walk away saying, well, we didn't get an offering. We don't even think about it because that's it's just not on our mind. And, and if they do give us an offering, we usually say, are you sure you don't have someplace else you need to give us? Because God takes care of it. But then now, uh, I think as of last week, we have 17 or 18 churches now. Yours was one of the earlier ones that uh, has partnered with us. Of course, we always tell every church now, if somebody else comes along, you feel like they need it more, you take it and give it to them. But we're blessed in that, and we have about 20 families now. Uh, still the family that established the ministry and, and called Beth and I to this ministry, uh, they're still our major support. And and they've they've made plans so that they they can be even after they're gone. So we're very appreciative of that. But uh, it was their vision to help bring revival to America's churches. And it wasn't particularly small churches. And we've been to uh, what I think are large churches. Some people call them medium sized churches, but but uh, uh, four hundred down to four people. And uh, but but the situation that we don't take an offering allows us to do that. And years ago, we had someone from, I think it was Washington State, said, we'd love to have you, but there's only 20 of us. When you're coming this way, let us know and we'll book you. And I said, I'm not coming that way unless you book me. And they never did because they just didn't believe that we would come all the way to Washington State. But here in a a month or so, uh, I'll be going, uh, Beth and I'll be going clear out to the coast of Oregon. uh, And and the nearest church we're going to be at before we get there is Indiana. So, uh, and it's not a big church. Greg and Lori have already been there twice. Beth and I have not yet been there, and we're looking forward to it. But it, it's churches like, uh, and people like uh, uh, you and, and Vicki that have helped to bless us and keep us going and, and allowed us to expand and add Greg and Lori and, and Kristen to run the office. But we appreciate that a lot. 
But I appreciate the story of this man that uh, you were sharing. And people may criticize, I said, well, you went and hung tobacco. You ought to preach to him about that. Well, you know, I've invited my neighbors to Fourth of July fellowships at our house when, when my kids are coming in with my grandkids. And I know my neighbors, when they eat a hot dog or hamburger, they like to have a beer. I don't drink beer. My kids don't drink beer. Their families don't drink beer. But I I tell my neighbors, now, if we're, we're going to have iced tea and we'll have some some soft drinks. But if if you want to bring your own beer, that's fine. We don't drink, but we're not going to judge you for bringing your beer. You go ahead and bring it if you want to. None of them ever have because they've been very respectful of, of me and my family. But we realize that you don't start by telling people what you disagree with. You, you start by being a friend and and sharing with them. And But, you know, we let them know, no, we don't do that. But you're welcome to come because my family knows that you don't have the same, you don't have the same values or stands, and we're not putting you down for that. It's just a different approach to life. Right at this point, we're hoping it's going to change, and that's a you know when you go and help somebody hang their tobacco or anything else, you're you're going as an evangelist, and I think too often uh, we look at everything from helping somebody out to to just calling on their house as just being friendly and when we we as preachers should look at every opportunity as an evangelistic opportunity and i appreciate that story that you shared um well you know what paul said paul said i must be what all things to what for what purpose all men so for the sake of the gospel that's right yeah that's right i'm gonna say this i'm not trying to interrupt you I don't mean to. No, this is your show, brother. <laughs> I recommend Rock Solid to any church of any size because Tom will preach to 20 or 30 as he would to 2,000. Uh, the same with the music and everything. And Rock Solid, New Testament speaking, Rock Solid is the real deal. It's a very doctrinal ministry, and it needs to be. And revival is getting to be a neglected, lost art. And look at the time we're in. If we ever needed revival in churches, Church is the only ones that's going to make a difference in our situation today. And if we ever needed that time and need more of it, it's now. And, and it's almost been dropped by the wayside, and revival is kind of archaic in a lot of people's mind. I want to tell you, it's the only hope we've got in this nation. Yes, sir. Thank you. You know, it is. It really is. And uh, I think people have the idea that revival is just an old-fashioned thing. I tell people, uh, try something that's so old-fashioned it's new. <laughs> that's old soul, it's yeah, new. Yeah. Uh, because revival is just resurrection, and the church in this country needs to be resurrected. And I, I can't agree with you more. Let me ask you something here, a question I like to ask everybody if I have time, and we've got time today. Um, and this is a three-part question. You can answer it one, two, three, or put it, or lump it all together, okay? However you want to do it. In your years of ministry and now stepping out because of health reasons and looking at all that's around you. And I know you've got a son-in-law who's a preacher and, and so you, and you keep in close contact with a lot of people who are still right there doing this. What do you believe to be the greatest challenges facing the church, individual Christians and, or the ministry going forward from today? Gracious. <laughs> Bunch of them, huh? Attitude of the world. I'm sorry, the attitude of the world, the attitude of our nation, 
uh, the attitude of people. Uh, the persecution and possibly even the coming persecution uh, against ministry or ministers and against churches. Uh, there was an effort on while I was still active. I know I heard of one preacher in, in Texas somewhere at a church in a county or city where they made him record his messages so they could screen them. And then he could even be arrested for preaching certain things. Yeah, that was Houston. Uh, the, the yeah. Way, yeah, Houston, that's right. And the direction, I mean, Vicki and I sit here and watch, you know, Newsmax a lot, and the direction our country's going in where we just, as a nation, accept anything, anything any kind of behavior. Uh, people not knowing uh, when they're born that God never makes a mistake about what gender you are, about the uh, outright blatant uh, behaviors and things like that. I'm not just talking about uh, homosexual people. I'm talking about in general, sin in general, the violence. And the greatest thing is a lack of respect. Yes, sir. For one another, the lack of respect for uh, God is waned in this nation something terribly. But the trend that I see in the violence and things, uh, to me, that's a great challenge. The, the, you know, the way the government's coming against Christianity. Yes, sir. Uh, at least I see it. Now, you're all over the place uh, in the nation. Oh, you see you're it you're spot on. You're spot on, but yeah. The challenges are that people are just dropping away from the Lord. They're dropping away uh, from like you said, building relationships, ministering to people. You don't have to be an ordained minister to do that. Every Christian has that responsibility. But uh, to keep a church going and things like that, especially out in a rural county, there's just so many people that aren't even interested in the Bible. That's where the root goes back. I think the problem goes back to people who just gotten away from the Bible. Uh, we had some wonderful people, some wonderful people. And we had some people who really got into Bible study with me, you know, a lot. But there are also a lot of people who were just spoon-fed on Sundays and Wednesdays. Mm -hmm. came that often. I would often tell them, you cannot just come to church and get what we have here and be fed spiritually to face the times you're facing in your family, your life, your job, and the world today. You're going to have to cultivate a personal relationship with God's Word. Because at the most, all you're getting is spoon-fed. Right. That's right. I, I, don't know if that, I don't know if that answers your question or not. It does. It really does. There's, yeah. Uh, so. You know, I was. Oh, let me, let me. I think you just handed me a thing here. Yeah, here you go. <laughs> Vicky said another challenge is preaching the full gospel and not just pity patty. I like that. That's my preacher's wife. You know what? She. <laughs> She hand that to you, and she's going to think I just just came to my mind, but it didn't. I was getting ready to say, Miss Vicky's sitting there. If if she'd like to scoot over close to you and say a few words about being a preacher's <laughs> wife, good, bad, or ugly, <laughs> uh, I'd welcome her to sit in for a minute and 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 visit with us. She's very camera shy. She's very well. There's no camera now. She has always stayed in the background. Even when she played the piano, she would stay behind the flag and play the piano because she doesn't like to draw attention. I always appreciate doing revivals that. with you because I knew that I was going to have good music with Miss Vicky. You got that right. She's <laughs> one of the best, if not the best. When we decided to go to Bible college, our daughters were like five and six or six and seven. And when we decided to go, I sat down, I took them down to Johnson one time. 
of course, the girls were excited because they were going to a new place. They were still too young. To, and I, I went back down there in the spring before we enrolled. And we sat down and we prayed about this. And we sat down with our daughters, you know, and we made a solid family decision to go into ministry. It was all four of us, especially my wife. And, and her parents were great Christian people, but they were very much against us going. And I understand that because I was a little on the wild side when we married. I, I was looking for my calling. And I jumped from this and that uh, every now and then. But she sat there on the porch one night and said, Mom, Dad said, I'm back. I'm with him on this decision. God's leading us to do this. When I got to Bible college, not judging, but I had some other uh, ministerial students there, undergraduates, who were in the programs. And we were sitting there one morning introducing ourselves. And I was surprised at two or three who said that they they were called to the ministry, but their wives didn't back them up. And they didn't stay in the ministry very long. Some of it even ended up in divorce. Because the ministry is tough on a wife, and it's tough on a family. Yes. One of the blessings, if you can find a blessing in almost deadly illness like we had in 2019, is that when we came home, uh, for good or bad, my wife got her husband back. She had him before we left to Johnson, but she got him back. And there's been times when, you know, when I've had to put my family on hold, uh, Vicky and I had to put them on hold. Our children always understood. Uh, my daughter right now in, in the ministry of her husband is going through the same thing. Sometimes we had to put off birthday celebrations yep. and other times, special time holidays because we'd have a death and a funeral and we just didn't walk off and leave us families. And we, they still don't. And so, uh, well, particularly uh, you know, when you were in a church, in a country through. church like that, the size country church you were in, there was no place else. They couldn't yeah. go to the associate minister or the second associate minister. You, you were it. And they and, and you were, they loved you and you loved them. And when there was a death, yeah. you felt like that was a, that was family. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I just wanted to get in. I hope I didn't go off, off the track too far there. You know, yeah, you you I always worry about that, Jim, when we talk, and you never do. You never do. I've got one of the greatest preacher's wives a man could have because she's 100% behind me, and there were just times when I feared her if I decided to drop out or anything, you know. And it was a hardship those first four years. We went down there and dropped from two incomes to less than 5000 a year, never took any assistance of any kind from the federal government, food stamps and nothing. And the Lord sustained us. Our home church supported us, but he put it directly into the college tuition uh, fund. And uh, I remember one day we got down, after we've been there a few months, we got down to where we was looking for pennies and quarters and drawers and clothing. We got down that load. And we went up to the mailbox on campus, and there was an envelope there from Roanoke, from Edgewood, and a Sunday school lady we knew had a Sunday school class of young children. And they, unknowing to us, they took on us as a mission and they sent us their offerings for three months $35 if you'd have gave me 35000 and Vicky 35000 it couldn't have meant more because we were down to nothing and uh, I know you people hear these stories but this is true and I, I, I remember one time Vicky got sick we had to put her in the hospital there in Knoxville thought maybe she had a brain tumor we ran up a bill now we had some insurance but it, you know minimal and we went home on the week of evangelism and we was there that Sunday, and it was the fifth Sunday, and we took up a medical offering. I said, we, we need to give. So we didn't have a lot, but we gave. Come find out the end of the service. It tears me up to tell this. The medical offering was for my family and I. 
Oh my. Again, we were down to burn. And I mean, every time we'd get low, the Lord would come through. I mean, if it was $35, you know, that time, it could have been a million. It couldn't have meant more. It got us through that time. I, so, I remember $25 checks coming in and us celebrating yeah. that we were rich, you know, and, and, yeah. you know, people today, it's hard for people to understand, but I, well, not for everybody and maybe not for some of our listeners who maybe who are in ministry as well. But I remember times when blue jeans were $10 a pair and we would start saving because I needed a new pair of blue jeans. And and it would take. I just think, how in the world are we going to afford to get me some new blue jeans? I, you know, I, I've got to have some. Yeah. And we just didn't have it. And but God always provided. And when my kids were all in in high school, they all drove cars. Now they they bought their cars and they, you know. But we helped with the insurance and everything. People said, how can you afford to do that? I said, well, we we love the Lord. We put the kingdom first. We 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 believe in tithe plus giving, and. God just, I don't know how it works. I don't know to this day when we go out on, on revivals for a whole month and we're in motels for an entire month and our budget is not does not cover motels for an entire month, but somehow it always works out. Only one year out of 19 years we've been doing this, only one year where we over budget in our expenses. And that was just by maybe $1,000. And God has provided constantly to meet those needs and meet those budgets, and even in, with gas prices today. And, of course, you know, uh, between Greg and I and Kristen driving some, too, we'll, we'll drive uh, seventy to 90,000 miles a year. And God, yes, God's taking care of that, even with gas prices. Uh, we've seen them in some places this year, almost $7 a gallon. So, uh, yes, sir. But that's a great testimony, brother. And a lot, I, I've heard from, not a lot, but I've heard from several young men and some middle-aged who say that these programs have encouraged them to consider ministry. And I don't want these programs ever to sound that ministry, missionary work, uh, Christian music, whatever, that it's, that it is a, uh, it's an easy road because it's not. But the Christian life is not an easy road. But then again, it doesn't matter what you do in this life. We've said it over and over in this program. It doesn't matter what kind of job you do. You're going to have difficulties. You're going to have problems. Uh, it may seem a little more personal ministry because your heart's in it so much. But God will get us through it. Let's, let's refill every day, open that Bible every day, and read our Bibles and pray and let God refill us. We can't, we can't do it on our own. And then get out there and do the work. If I had two closing advice, two things, close advice. All right. If someone's considering men, you make sure that God is leading you in that direction beyond anything else. Yes, sir. If you're married, you make sure your wife and your family are with you on that. And the second thing is the ministry overall is a real blessing. Yes, You sir. know this, but there's also times when there's hurt involved. And uh, if you keep your eyes on Jesus Christ and you know beyond anything he's leading you in these directions, because I could have never persuaded this gentleman I told you about or the other gentleman, uh, twisted arm and got them to come to Christ. God convicted them through teaching and preaching. And the thing is, you have to focus on Jesus Christ, because sometimes if you know you've done everything you could to glorify him and his leading, 
the way he did, when the hurt comes along, you got to keep focusing on that. But we did this for Jesus. Yeah, individuals were involved. A church might have been involved or churches. But, you know, the bottom line is we did what we know the Lord wanted us to do. We held to the full gospel, and, and we and we did it with a pureness of heart. And, I mean, the church is human beings just like all of us. And uh, you're never going to find a perfect church, but you're going to find a church with a lot of bless, uh, blessings in it, a lot of good people who will love you and will accept you and will, you know, heed to the gospel. But keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. Because yes. the number, when I finished my senior year in the spring of 84 real quickly, our professor at Johnson in the senior preaching class said, and it was 30 of us in there or more, he said, in 10 years, you'll be amazed at how many of y'all left the ministry. If you don't keep your eyes on Jesus, you don't have that backing from family, wife, or whoever, and you don't keep focused on the Lord, and you know you're doing what he said, no matter how things come out, uh, you won't make it. That's right. But it's the greatest calling on the earth. It's the greatest calling on the earth. That's wonderful. So take everything you got. Wonderful words from, from a man who gave gave it all until he in, until he had to back out. And and I know this has been yeah. somewhat of a struggle for you to talk today, but I appreciate it. We've been trying to do this forever. And I just thought this week I'm home. I'm going to try it and see if we can't do it online uh, because I don't know the next time I'm going to be coming through there. Maybe next year I'm, I'm over at Jonesville. I'm not sure. But but uh, I, I want to make sure that we had this time to sit down and talk. And and uh, Vicki, Beth is a whole lot like Vicki. I did interview her for this program way back. But it, it was kind of twisting an arm to, to get her to do it. But we do appreciate yep. our wives who stay in, prefer to stay in the background, but they help us. And, and if we get off track in our preaching, you better believe it, listeners. They're going to tell us because uh, they're, they're yes. gospel ladies, too. And we appreciate that about them. Yes. And, and uh, Vicki, I'll just say to you back there in the background, I don't see you, but I'm going to say how much we appreciate and love you, Miss Vicki. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we go today? The wife, every Sunday after we'd leave church, I would get my critique Which... in a loving way. And she really helped me hone my focus at times. Sometimes I'd be discouraged and she would pick it up and, uh, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, that we've been blessed. Our family has with that kind of backing. Uh, she trained her daughter, our youngest daughter. I got two daughters, 51. She's a 23-year elementary school teacher. Dawn and Missy married a preacher <laughs> there at the Little Prayer Church of Christ in Grundy. And Vicki trained her well to be a preacher's wife. Yeah. Uh, she, she, she really has. Uh, but it's been a privilege to talk with you today. I hope I've said something uh, that is really, you know, bless someone, help them in some way if they're preparing to go into ministry or a church thinking about revival. Please call Rock Solid. Thank you. Again, thank you, Jim. And I hope to our listeners, if this has been a blessing to you and an encouragement to you, that you'll share this podcast with your friends and co-workers in Christ. Remember, we're on all kinds of platforms. Just take a look. We're on 14 or 15 different podcast platforms, including iHeartRadio and uh, Apple, Google. And of course, we originate from Podbean. And we're happy that you're here with us. Until next time, this is Evangelist Tom Weaver saying goodbye, and may God pour down his blessings on you like a Mississippi rain.